Welcome to season four of the Retail Tea Break podcast. My name is Melissa Moore, the Retail Advisor, and each week I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and product creators to decode the myths, share knowledge and give you an insight into the retail industry. So grab your cup of tea, sit back, relax and listen in to season four of the Retail Tea Break podcast. So as we head towards the 50th episode of the Retail Tea Break podcast next week, today's episode is a little different. It's the first time I've had a guest back on the show. So I'm rejoined by someone whose vast knowledge of and experience within global retail is absolutely mind-blowing. Based in Paris, he runs his own international retail advisory firm, providing services to luxury and premium brands. His advice, though, is both strategic and implementational. He's recognized internationally for his profound knowledge of global brands and is highly sought after by clients for his advice, his thoughts, ideas on specific issues to help make key decisions. And all of this, absolutely all of this, is alongside being a published author, a lecturer and an executive coach. Chris Igwe, author of the newly published Breaking Down Barriers, welcome back to the Retail Tea Break podcast. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm uh, totally honoured to be invited back. I didn't expect it, to be honest. So thank you so much for, for this opportunity. I think it's wonderful to be able to chat to you again. Oh, it's brilliant to have you back. I know the episode that we recorded last year has been so popular. It was so, so widely picked up by so many for the thoughts you had, but also your advice. So it was amazing then to hear that you'd written this book, Breaking Down Barriers. Um, And I'm delighted to be able to chat to you about it today. And I think, as we were saying earlier, it pulls on all all of your experiences, uh, whether that's in business and outside of retail as well, which I think is really important. But there is so much knowledge to share. So I suppose my first question, probably the obvious one, what led you to write it? Um, It's an obvious one, but maybe my answer won't be so obvious, Melissa, in the sense that I started out on, for want of a better description, a personal development journey some 30 odd years ago, I guess. And I don't know how I got into it. I stumbled into it, but it doesn't really matter. When I went to many of these seminars, lectures and so on, predominantly in the US, to be honest, but a few in the UK as well. And one of the themes that kept coming up is everybody's got a book within them. Everybody's got a story to tell. Now, quite frankly, which is why I say it was 30 years ago, I just thought to myself, well, nobody knows Chris Igwe. Who cares about Chris Igwe? Why would I write another book? And as I'm sure you know, there are tens of millions of books that come out every year. How would I differentiate myself and be available within a kind of very busy marketplace, as it were? So over the years, things just happened. I developed, I grew. And then I think perhaps one of the triggers was a few years ago, so even before the pandemic, People started contacting me either via Instagram um, and LinkedIn, primarily direct messages saying, we admire what you've done or we've seen you do this, that and the other. Would you might, can you explain how you, and these are generally young professionals, let's Mm. put it that way, who are wanting advice, support um, and ideas. And it then started to germinate in my mind thinking, well, I can't help everybody one-to-one. I can't mentor, as you kindly mentioned, I'm an executive coach as well. I can't coach everybody. I can't mentor everybody. So what might be a better way of doing this? And again, I didn't want a book that everybody else has done. 
I wanted to have my own stamp. As you know, everything I do is unique. I try to be anyway. Um, and that's how it came about, Melissa. It's really then, okay, what do I want to say? How do I want to put it forward? And I thought, well, take my life. Coming from the subtitle of the book is the journey from a, or my journey from a small African country to the world stage. And the idea is, as you know, uh, and perhaps others, I, I'm, I'm a keynote speaker. I'm master of ceremony on stages all over the world, which I'm privileged to be a part of. So I thought it would be really interesting to go from nothing to something, even if it's in my own world and in my world of retail. So that's how it came about. I thought, let's do it. Um, but I don't want just another book on personal development, growth, business strategies, name it as you will. And so as the whole process started, as you said, it, it, it's become a workbook, actually. So there's a point I want to make to help people. And then there's a personal story in my life. The two are linked in. And then the bridges are quotations, action items, and critical thinking questions. And the action items and critical thinking questions are the most important ones, if you like, because that is where you, as an individual, take what you've heard or read and integrate it into your own life and say, okay, how can I use this? And it's something I want people to come back to time and time again. Critical thinking questions are not about thinking, done it, move on. You've got to come back, assess it, reassess it. As you grow, as you evolve, things change in your life and your circumstances. So that's kind of the foundational piece of, of what I wanted to, to write. And then touching with different individuals, some of whom I've asked for testimonials, they were going, wow, this is, I've read lots of personal development books or business books or whatever. This is unique. This is different. This is, yeah. And as one person said, even at her age, um, one of the chapters was exactly what she needed to hear at that time. And she was able to use it to do something. So it's not just for the young, it's for you know all ages. But I love that. It it sounds to me, and look, I look at my own bookshelf here and my my favorite books or the the books for my life and also obviously for the business are the ones that are have bent pages that I've pencil marked all over that I've scribbled on that I pull down time and time again and I think that's what really struck me about this book because it isn't just the memoir even though that story is so relatable like as you said you come from a small African village as does my own father and I think that resonated with me straight away but because your journey is so and forgive me for saying this normal that it shows how achievable it is to do such incredible things with this book. And I love the way as well that you've really challenged the reader. As you said, it isn't just a book. It's not just a memoir that you want them to come back time and time again. But you give us a reason. Because as you said, the questions you pose, those critical thinking questions, I might have an answer or an idea this year. But five mm. years down the line, that's going to completely change. Exactly. Exactly. That's the key. And so that's what I wanted it to be. And I, I do hope, Melissa, that you, my book ends up being one of those where you, I, I will I will forgive you if I see it, you know, bent over and whatever, as we tell our, <laughs> used to tell our kids, you know, treat the books with respect. But if you disrespect my book, but you learn from it, that's totally okay. Good. That's good to know, because I do. The books I love the most are the ones with the bent pages and the scribbles <laughs> on. But I think it shows my love for mm. those books. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who, who do the same thing. Um, you list 20 reasons for reading this book, which to me are just brilliant pieces of advice in business um, and in life. You know, you will make mistakes, accept that. Mentors help you climb mountains. 
But one of the ones that really stood out to me was dreaming big is not enough. Invest in yourself. What did you mean by that? Hmm. Yeah, what I wanted to communicate, and there are different stories in the chapters in the book, there are 50 chapters, and anyone can associate what they feel in terms of those 20 points, for example, with what that story might tell. But probably the one that would speak most is when I say dream big, we all have big dreams. We all want to be something. We want to, you know, either because social media sets somebody up and that person, male or female, is our hero. And I want to be like him or her. I want to do that. Um, Mount Everest, we, you know, I would love to have climbed Mount Everest, for example, 70 years of um, the first climb was, was yesterday, I think it was. You may have those aspirations, but that's just a thought, an idea in your mind. How are you going to get there? Not just how are you going to get there, but more importantly, you are going to hit some major hurdles along your journey. And if you don't invest in yourself, and what I mean by that is literally going and learning and studying from those who have made it. So your mentors, I've had brilliant mentors, coaches, I've had brilliant coaches, both, both primarily business. I, I wouldn't say I've had personal coaches because um, I coach myself as it were, but um, I look to others and see what they have done. Where have they fallen back? Where have they been challenged and how have they grown? So if you can't achieve that and build those muscles to strengthen you in the times of real challenge, because the bigger the dream, the bigger the challenge. Even small dreams. You know, I'm a global thought leader today. I'm very great, grateful that people recognize that in me. Did I imagine I would get here? To a certain degree, yes. But at the same time, it's not a dream to run a big, you know, global company. As you know, I, I was um, head of real estate at Gap or at Foot Locker. Um, but I didn't, I wouldn't want, have wanted to be, you know, one of the major owners of a big company like that. That was never my objective. I wanted to run my own company, absolutely. So all that to say is the investing in yourself part is learning from hopefully books like my own, studying for yourself, attending seminars, trainings, build those muscles and experiences that you will need on your journey because you will get knocked back. I'll give you a very quick story, if I may, it's in the book. Um, one of the more painful personal stories. Uh, I, along with, I'll do the very short version, but along with um, somebody I met on one of the seminars in the US, he was from New Zealand, but lived in Australia. We decided together that we'd uh, develop a major project. We acquired the location on the Sunshine Coast, just above Brisbane in Australia, set up a company, acquired the real estate. We're going to build it into a major redevelopment project. We had some fantastic ideas. We got the debt financing from a, an Australian bank. We were going to secure the equity financing and then 9-11 hit, the Twin Towers in New York or whatever. I was in because I was the guy that was bringing the financing. It wasn't my own, so I had to borrow. I borrowed against somebody else who happened to be a close friend of mine whose lawyer said that's the biggest personal loan you've ever given anybody to that guy. So I'm carrying this big um, opportunity. 9-11 happens, the equity funder had to pull out. We were left with a major, major problem. Equally and ironically, my lawyer in, in Australia at the time contacted me 
during the project development to say, Chris, you may want to move your family to Australia because you are going to make a load of money. And from tax implication point of view, you should seriously consider moving to Australia. That was probably one of my most painful experiences, at least at a business level. And if I hadn't by that stage already acquired the inner strength, ability, knowledge, insights to climb out of that pit, because it was, it took me a long, long time to pay off that loan. Um, my wife was aware of it. So, you know, put extra stress on the family. And um, anyway, it all turned out fine. So my point there, A, with what I said before, and B, with the story is you, you can dream as big as you like, and you must dream big. I encourage people to dream big. No, don't let anybody hold you back. But make sure you've got the tools for when you make that climb in order to be um, the success that you want to be. That's that's really interesting and very generous of you to kind of offer that story up. But also what I'm hearing there is you need these skills and this strength, not because sometimes, and again, I don't know, maybe it's been a solopreneur myself. We often find it's our own challenges we put in our way. But obviously something like that story, 9-11 happens, that's a completely external force that's that's impacted the dream and the goal you had. But again, that idea of resilience, having these tools, having this inner strength um, really saw you through that. Mm. Oh, it did. It did. Um... And I learned a tremendous amount from it as well, to be perfectly honest. And um, that was one of the, so you take the negative impact and there are others, as um, you'll see in the book, which are personal. So from the inside, as you say, um, you know, my own mistakes, my own miscalculations, my own learnings, and um, still enabled me to continue on the, on the journey. So they could be external, they could be internal, but you've just got to be ready. Your table has got to be set for yourself. It makes it real, Chris. It really, really does. Um, recognition, something that comes up in the book. And I think this has become so prevalent in this day and age. And maybe it's more so within a work sense, because, you know, especially within the retail industry, um, there's a real lack of staffing at the moment. And we're looking at this internal culture more and more. There's such a spotlight on it. And recognition is this key term that we all deserve, but not necessarily every employee gets, you know, we tend to say well done to others. We're very good at this. A lot of us, we say well done to others before we'd ever even dream of patting ourselves on the back or saying well done to ourselves, which is fascinating because like we all work so hard, you know, whether it's running our own businesses, whether it's being an employee for someone else, but how many of us actually stop and reflect and do actually recharge our batteries? Mm. There is a chapter that I have in the book called um, entitled Work Hard, uh, Work Hard, Play Hard, Rest Hard. And what I sought to do through that is to say it is absolutely OK to look after yourself, to take time off. And the story that I tell within that is, for example, my wife and I had this agreement in our early years of marriage, and it continued on when the kids were were younger we just get the nanny to look after the kids or whatever but more importantly we would each go off in our own directions so she would go off and she'd learn all these great things around um, um alternative medicines and health and she's a therapist and midwife and everything else so she'd go off to all these courses in different places i would accumulate my air miles and my hotel miles and i'd go off into some place i'd go to austria I'd go to switzerland i'd go to italy just to be on my own for the weekend i mean how crazy is that you know people who have heard that story they go you guys 
are just absolutely nuts. Why would you go in different directions? We don't go on the same weekend generally, so I would go away. The point there is you work so hard. Yes, there are. it's nice for people to say thank you to you and to recognize what you've done. Absolutely, I embrace that. But I need my time and my space to regenerate, recharge, recover. And I would take myself, my favorite was Relais Chateau, um, a French uh, a hotel chain, um, exclusive, premium, depends on the type. I could select whichever I want and I just contribute my miles to that. And I'd go down to dinner and some places you had to dress for dinner. So I dress for dinner, suit and jacket and tie. And I sit there on my own with my notepad. I always had a little notebook, made notes. So that's the reflective to your comment there. I'd think, I'd plan, I'd go, what's working, what isn't, why, and so on. Introspection, if you like. So it was all a complete piece, but it was me recharging my batteries, recognizing myself for what I've done, what I've achieved, thanking myself as well, thanking my wife, obviously, and the kids. But yeah, I don't think we do enough of that to give ourselves the space to be um, to recognize what we've achieved and how far we've come as well in our journey. So I think that is important. The, the external recognition is very important, don't get me wrong. Um, and as leaders and, and we run our own businesses or corporate, we should always be able to say thank you to those in our team and um, encourage them and support them as well. But it's very often, you know, a bit like in the airplane where they say, you know, if they, there's a, a drop in air pressure, put your own mask on first before helping others. That's the same thing. If we're not fully in a good place mentally, physically, emotionally, it's very difficult to help other people because your challenges and issues will always outweigh what you can do for somebody else. That's so important. And so many of us, and certainly myself included here, Chris, don't do it enough. Um, but I love the way that you've said you go away with a notebook as well. So this constant reflection. And I presume then mm. that reflection builds back through the business, your life, that you're constantly feeding back and improving and self-improving mm. on everything that you do. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to because you, you've got, and this is, goes back to that, your first question about investing in yourself and what that means is, is you you learn to, to do this. And one of my great mentors, um, coaches, and I, I'd like to say, <clears throat> excuse me, friend as well as Bob Proctor, uh, the late Bob Proctor passed away last year. And Bob would always challenge me if I had the chance of a one-to-one on so, so, so Chris, so what do you really want? What I'm going, Bob, I've just told you what I want. He's going, I'm not hearing it. What do you really want? And he'd keep on drilling, drilling, drilling until he felt that I'd got close enough to whatever it was he was looking for, um, which is part of the process. I mean, I think that the first time around, I might have told him what I really wanted and he heard it, but he just wanted to make sure that I just kept chipping away. And I, I, I admired and respected that. And I use that in my own um, business and life as well. It's like, what do you really want? I love that. I'm also keeping that. That one. That one's going on the list. That's something I'm definitely <laughs> going to start using. Getting all the tips today, Chris. I love this. Um, <laughs> you must have looked back and obviously reflected on so much to kind of gather your thoughts to write this book. Um, but I've got to ask, what's your standout retail memory so far? Oh, <clears throat> there are probably three, but I'll only give you one uh, in the interest of time. Um, my biggest retail memory was the securing of three major stores in or three major locations for Gap in France. Um, in fact, there were four, lo four locations, four stores, but one was an acquisition. And then the two others were uh, rental pieces. 
And <clears throat> excuse me, what's what was fantastic about it is for me anyway, is they were very complex deals in various different ways. Um, buying a business which Gap had never done to secure that location, dealing with two owners of a building um, that were very old fashioned, so very difficult to deal with, and another location which was a major flagship on the Champs Elysees. So th those three deals I had to take to San Francisco and get the board approval. Now, it so happened that I was on holiday with my family in Lisbon. And there's a famous picture of me taken by the kids with me on the phone to my European boss. He was telling me, you have to get on a plane in three days time to fly to San Francisco to get those deals approved. I'm going, I'm on holiday. He goes, you do what you need to do. You are coming back. We'll set up a flight for you. You're going to San Francisco. You're going to present and get the deal done. So that kind of back. And my wife was fantastic. We're running into the first week, well, first three, three days of our two-week holiday, cut the whole thing short, headed back to Paris, and um, came back, got my thoughts together, flew out to San Francisco, 36-hour trip uh, there and back, presented to the board. Um, they approved the deals, which was fantastic. And I came back, deals in my pocket, obviously, you know, very, very excited, very happy. And sometime later, Don Fisher, the founder, who was uh, very gracious to me and one of my great mentors, said, Chris, you have spent in 18 months on those three deals alone, more than I have spent in building this business. And it was about you know year 30 or so of, of gap. So I wasn't quite sure if that was a compliment or if he was kind of telling me off in a, in a sort of Don way. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was not only the process and the background, but the fact that those locations put gap on the map, certainly in Europe. And the upshot was the Champs-Élysées and Paris and everything else, they were able to market that back in the US and so on. So um, I contributed to uh, helping Gap kind of move to where it was. So it was more about people, individuals, Don Fisher, and just the sense of satisfaction of doing that. So that, yeah, would be, and it, inevitably I could, you know, write a whole book almost on the um, the ups and downs of that particular, um, uh, pro, pro, those projects, uh, should I say, yeah. How incredible. And yes, please do write a book on that. We'd, we'd all definitely read that. How amazing, you know, such an incredible iconic brand. But as you said, very different, three very different deals within that kind of bigger, bigger aspect of them, of them growing the business there. And so you have you right at the heart of it with all your knowledge. And again, a previous episode we did in season three, and I'll pop that in the show notes. You talk about kind of locations and building out businesses like this but what an incredible story um and and such a great brand to do it with um mm. I want to have you and you know what we're going to go down the retail route now that we're here it would be remiss of me not to kind of pick your brains um what's catching your eye when it comes to retail at the moment what on earth in Chris's view is um is happening out there right now uh well I would separate of the obvious stuff, stores closing, businesses failing, and so on and so forth, which are kind of the um, unfortunate consequence of overconsumption and everything else, and then impacted by COVID. So I'm going to leave all that. But I would say probably two main things that I'm seeing beyond the fact that retailers are not expanding in the same way anyway. So there's little expansion. And if it is, it's very strategic, very focused. Shopping centers, there are very few new projects and developments. They're more restructuring, renovating, repositioning. Um, so there's not a, you know, a lot to be super excited about there. 
So I guess the area where you, one could say it's exciting, depending on how you look at it. So with the fewer stores, retailers and brands are looking at the locations that they're doing. How can they make that more engaging to the customer, whether it's in terms of design, in terms of um, merchandising, in terms of staffing as well, the quality you talked about staffing earlier on, Melissa. So how do they get kind of the best um, uh, representatives of the brand in those locations? And even, you know, quote unquote, retailers or traditional retailers are doing that more than they used to in the past, where you would assume a consumer comes across the door and they'll they'll buy. Well, no, you've got to engage and connect with them. I'm not saying they all do it well, but there are there's more thought process that goes into it. So the locations are becoming better curated, for want of a better description, better design, uh, with more visually attractive, including lighting. So I'm seeing a lot more of that. But what I think the industry is challenged with, so this is where it's it's either exciting or it's fearful is both technology and more importantly now, artificial intelligence, so AI. There's so much talk about AI and there's so much fear around AI. You know, are, are we going to find ourselves in a very difficult situation in the future? Possibly, but I think it's like when e-commerce started and, and internet, you know, some 20 years ago or so, and then really accelerated maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago. People get into the e got into the e-commerce pretty late or didn't do it very well. I think there's going to be, I hope anyway, with AI, a lot more of a learning and understanding. So how will this affect the processes, whether it's back office or whether it's front of house in terms of how you deal with the consumer that comes in, whether it's changing rooms, how do, how do you use AI for that? How do you use AI for uh, holograms and um, digital screens and so on, or mirrors? Is there a way in which AI can beforehand obviously assess what a woman needs, for example, in terms of how she looks before she then goes and buys a particular product in, in the store. So I think, and there are many, you know, gazillion different ways of AI can be used, but it's becoming more and more, how does AI enhance the customer or consumer experience before, during, and after being in the store? And so I see that as the biggest conversations around today. And the other, which is a little bit more personal that I'm involved in is immersive entertainment and retail, how those two are looked. And one of my business activities is in um, immersive uh, entertainment. That also is growing both within the brands themselves, but also, of course, shopping centers. How do you bring um, immersive entertainment into spaces to create not just, yeah, come and take a look like a museum, but how do you convert that into sales afterwards? Not talking about NFTs and the metaverse and everything else in between, but that whole immersive experience environment where even the brands, as you know, are looking at you know NFT products and how do you create those and then drive traffic into the store itself. So um, I guess technology in, in the broad sense is one of the biggest areas of things going on today and how that is being used. And that, that is very exciting, I, I must admit. The ever-changing retail space, Chris, it mm. is. It's unbelievably agile, um, mm. but exciting at the same time. So look, Final question, um, what's coming up for you, apart from to continually kind of push, not push, push is the wrong word, celebrate uh, Breaking Down <laughs> Barriers, the book. What's coming up for you over the next six months? Oh, I love that word. I'm going to I'm gonna embrace that. Celebrate. Yes, you're right. I, I thought about promote the book, but no, celebrate the book, I think is absolutely right. So I'm going to continue to do that. Um, so at a personal level, the other component would be um, 
creating, which I've already created, but I haven't done a masterclass on leadership because, as you know, leadership is one of my other uh, favorite topics. Um, I don't believe that we globally, whatever the industry, do leadership as well as we could and as many of our predecessors did. I talk about the Don Fishers of this world and various others who have been inspirational and visionary leaders and they've done a fantastic job. So leadership is very important. So I'm, I'm going to be doing a masterclass um, later this year. But from a business point of view, servicing clients and brands in their portfolio management assessment, um, reviewing their portfolio with them when they want to expand, we'll continue to help them to do that. Um, supporting the French National Council, they have a different name now, French Council of Shopping Centres, in developing their conference for September here in France, and continuing my role as MC uh, moderator with MAPIC, um, which I've done since 2011, I think it is, so 12 or 13 years, um, going there and supporting the main conference and various other conferences. Um, what else am I doing? I think... Um, and I think that's pretty much it. I mean, there might be one or two other. Oh, yeah, the other businesses that I support as well. I'm involved in from luxury um, leather and handbag brand to a, a business that supports women um, activities and how to help them grow in the health and wellness, hair and beauty sector. And then, as I said, um, in the immersive entertainment experience environment. So I'm on either the board or I'm in the business of those. So I continue to help them to explore ways of growing. So beyond that. Sports, 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 sports. <laughs> Where do you have time? That's the next episode is how Chris has the time to do all this and write a book and to go away for wonderful weekends. Um, Chris, it's been a joy. So if you've enjoyed the podcast um, today, please, please like and share it. Remember, you can listen back to past Retail Tea Break podcast episodes on your favourite platform or on YouTube. Connect with myself and Chris on LinkedIn or follow Chris and I across our social media platforms. I'll obviously pop the link uh, for Chris's details and for this newly published book, Breaking Down Barriers, in the show notes. Um, Chris, again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you back and to have the chat. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm so honoured to have been invited back. I didn't think you invited people back, so I'm uh, incredibly honoured to, to do that. You've got so many people you connect with around the world and you talk to, so um, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Thank you so much and have an amazing week.